I started intercepting all the traffic on your network. That's when I noticed something strange. That's when I decided to hack you. You're using Tor networking to keep the servers anonymous. You made it really hard for anyone to see it. But I saw it. The onion rooting protocol, it's not as anonymous as you think it is. Whoever's in control of the exit nodes is also in control of the traffic, which makes me the one in control. Welcome to episode eight of The Lockdown. Now, this show is going to be shorter than usual, mainly because I'm in the middle of traveling. I've just come back from Canada, where I was speaking at a cybersecurity event on data resilience and ransomware. And I'm also preparing for Zero Trust World, which is coming up in a couple of weeks in Florida. And I'll be speaking there around Zero Trust, obviously, but also tying that back to privacy before traveling to Virginia for the Open Source Intelligence Summit. So a busy few weeks ahead. In today's show, I will be talking about anonymity on the Tor network and dispelling some myths and misconceptions of privacy on Tor. I'll be briefly talking about Mozilla's new data removal service, which is called Mozilla Monitor. And while on that subject, I'll be talking about people's search sites and data removal techniques. First off, I'd like to address some inaccurate statements I've been hearing from some quite notable influencers in the security and privacy community around the usage of Tor. The way Tor works is you have a Tor client, and in most cases that's the Tor browser. Brave has a Tor client built in. I don't usually recommend using that. I think the official Tor browser is much better, but I won't get into that now. That Tor client, when it connects to the Tor network, connects to an entry node, um, otherwise known as a guard or an entry guard. And that traffic is encrypted. From the entry guard, it then connects to a middle relay. And by the way, these could be in different countries all over the world. The middle relay then connects to an exit node. And this is why it's called the onion network, because you can see we have multiple layers here, like layers of an onion, before it gets to the destination server. So from the exit node, it then connects to the destination. And the only part that's not encrypted is from the exit node to the destination. And what this gives us is the fact that if you are the exit relay, you only see encrypted traffic from the middle node. If you are the middle node, you only see encrypted traffic being sent to the exit um, and from the entry guard. You don't see the client. And if you control the entry node, you certainly see the encrypted traffic from the Tor client, but you don't know the destination. So you may think, okay, if I control the entry node, then I see what websites the client is visiting. Uh, But no, that's not the case. This is why it's called uh, onion routing or this layered encryption. So it's not just one connection to the next, it's actually encrypted multiple times. So your data will pass through a sequence of these nodes on the Tor network. And as your data passes through each of these nodes, Each node only decrypts one layer of encryption, revealing the next node in the circuit, but never the overall origin or the final destination of the data. So this design is good. It ensures that no single node in the Tor network can see both where the traffic is coming from and where it is going to. Sure, the entry node knows where the data came from, but doesn't know the final destination. 
The middle relay simply forwards the data without knowing the origin or the destination. And then the exit node knows the destination, but doesn't know where it came from. But here's myth number one that I keep hearing is why are you using a VPN before you connect to Tor? So you connect it to VPN and then you connect to the Tor network. And I've heard things like this exposes you further, this increases your risk, blah, blah, blah. Whether you're using your plain ISP internet connection or VPN, that the privacy and security does change, but not in the way people are making out. The VPN will hide your real IP address from websites that you visit and indeed the Tor entry node if you're connected to VPN. So this does provide an additional layer of privacy from your ISP. If you weren't connecting to a VPN, your internet service provider will know you're connected to Tor. They won't know what site's on Tor, that's the whole point of it, but they know you're connected to a Tor entry node. But if you're connected to a VPN, that trust will shift to the VPN provider. Last night, I sat down for dinner and put Mr. Robot on, I think for the fifth time. If you haven't seen it, Mr. Robot is a TV series featuring Rami Malek and Christian Slater. Probably one of the best TV shows I've watched in a long time. It's probably around 10 years old now. But anyway, I digress. In the show, in episode one, when Elliot is talking to the owner of Ron's Coffee, he says, I control the exit node, so I control the data. And it's true. If you control an exit node, you can see the data exiting the Tor network to the destination website. But as an exit node operator, you don't see the originating IP address of the user as I've previously described. So really, controlling an exit node gives you access to the data being requested and sent from that node to the destination, but not to the original user's IP address or the client. Now, TV shows are obviously designed for Hollywood, but Mr. Robot is actually pretty accurate in what they're doing here. The strategy where he mentions controlling the exit nodes in the show actually highlights an attack vector known as Tor Correlation Attack, I am not an expert on this type of attack vector on Tor. But interestingly, there is a, a paper, an academic paper, titled Deep Core, Strong Flow Correlation Attacks on Tor Using Deep Learning. So in a Tor or traffic correlation attack, the attacker, in this case, Elliot, tries to control or monitor both the entry and the exit nodes of the Tor network for specific users. Now, he was targeting the owner of a coffee shop. So Elliot then could observe traffic entering the Tor network, but also observe it leaving through an exit node. Through elimination of other traffic, you can correlate timings and sizes of packets and so on to link that origin and destination. It's a very sophisticated and resource-intensive attack. And the question is, are your VPN providers doing this? So if your VPN provider operates a Tor node, whether that be an entry node, middle node, or an exit node, it doesn't inherently reveal the IP address of the client coming through the operation of the node itself due to Tor's design. But I guess the concern is there's a potential for the VPN provider to perform traffic analysis if they control both the VPN, which they do obviously, of which the user is connecting from, and one or more of the nodes in the Tor path. But you've got to remember, Tor has been designed to defend against traffic analysis and surveillance. When you connect to the Tor network, the traffic's encrypted and routed through a random series of nodes. So all these nodes I mentioned, they're not fixed. This is randomized. 
And this is randomly selected uh, and can change every 10 minutes or so. And you can actually, um, in, on the Tor browser, there's a button you can press to re-establish a fresh connection. It closes all the pages and opens up and starts new. And it's this random path selection that now makes it very difficult for any single observer, so this could be ISP or the VPN provider, to track where data is coming from and going to. So here's where I think the risk is. A VPN does narrow the search somewhat. For example, if I'm using Proton VPN and I'm connecting to a server in Virginia, for example, I'm now in a smaller pool of users accessing that VPN. It stands out a bit more. Now, I actually use Tor as part of my day job. I will do it to research the latest ransomware and look at data breaches. For me, it's a trove, a treasure trove of information that I can use when I'm speaking in public and, and keep my knowledge current of what's going on in the open quote, dark web, close quote. But I've got to remind you all of the threat model here. All of this is incredibly unlikely. You would have to be quite a significant target. So yes, it's possible, but very sophisticated. If you are that concerned of hiding what your activities are on the Tor network, then you should be taking far more extreme measures and should have more concern whether you're connected to VPN or just your ISP. So back to the original argument. When you're connected to a VPN, does it expose you further? No, it does not. I had one well-known cybersecurity influencer say that when you're connected to VPN, it centralizes the exit node. Well, that's not possible. Your VPN's at the client side. The exit node's at the other end of the onion routing network. So how can it centralize the exit node? Perhaps he meant the entry node if the VPN is controlling that. But again, it doesn't reveal where you're going to because of the nature of Tor. Now, should you use Tor for day-to-day -day browsing? I don't think so. I think it's slow. It's infuriating. For everyday use, for the practical privacy among us, a good VPN provider is all you need. And as far as recommending a VPN provider, I probably just have to go with Proton VPN. I personally avoid private internet access, NordVPN, ExpressVPN, all those ones you see advertised on people's YouTube channels and on these review sites. I just stay away from them. I don't trust them one bit. And also, I think you've got to use your instincts. If something doesn't quite feel right and you're, you're not convinced of the authenticity of the VPN provider, don't use them. Now, brief update on data removals. I was recently asked who the best data removal service is and who I'd recommend. And this is actually a tricky one to answer. There are services out there, such as Delete.me, Optory, and a new one, Mozilla Monitor, which I'll be talking about in a moment, that you can pay, and they will attempt to remove your data from these people's search sites. And as I've mentioned in previous shows, Michael Bazell over at Intel Techniques has an amazing free workbook, which you can download and do this for yourself manually. There are a lot of links. However, I would start with the basics. I wouldn't even do this if you haven't already done a credit freeze across all of the credit agencies and also putting the title deed for your home in the name of a living trust so your name is out of public records. If you seek out a lawyer to establish your trust or an estate planning attorney, they will ask you to use first name, last name at trust name. So John Smith at the Lockdown Trust, for example. I don't see any point in that because then your name is still in the public records. 
The first thing I would do, go to your local county's website and search for the title deed, search the public records and just type trustee for the, the first name. You may be surprised. In, in my county, there are hundreds and hundreds of trusts in the name of trustee of and then the trust name. I would recommend hiring the services of an estate planning attorney. Tell them you don't want your real name in the name of the trust. If they're refusing to do that, then find another estate planning attorney like I did. I actually went through two. Now, one technique I was offered is the title deed can be put into the name of the estate planning attorney, which sounds really suspicious, but this is how it works. Let's say your estate planning attorney is John Smith. So when the trust is formed, John Smith is a trustee, the beneficiary of the trust. The title deed goes into that name, John Smith at your trust name. But when the trust is formed, just two minutes later, that trustee retires or resigns from the trust. So essentially, you're using outdated information on the title deed. This is possible. I just don't like it. It just gives me an uneasy feeling having someone else's name on the title deed itself for the name of the trust. Now, in my case, I found another estate planning attorney that was willing to work with me on this. And we've now got trustee of and then the name of the trust. The reason I bring all this up now, and this is not a podcast about trust, there are books out there to do it, but I would just highly recommend seeing a, an attorney to do this for you. Now, the reason I bring this up is if you remove your, your personal data from these people's search sites, they're going to just scrape public records again in three months, six months, a year, whenever it is they do this, and your personal information will just appear again, and it's going to be a never-ending battle of whack-a-mole. So first step freeze your credit. There's no reason by default your credit shouldn't be frozen. That's something that I have a real problem about, especially with kids. You know, kids' uh, social security numbers are low-hanging fruit for identity theft. Why these aren't frozen by default, I have no idea. So that's the first step. Second step, put your home in a trust. I don't believe you have to move house to do this. But if you do want to remove your data from the people search sites quickly, you really have two options. You do it yourself or you use a service to do this for you. So Mozilla Monitor recently launched, I think they've been around a while, but there's a new partnership now where they have partnered up with the Have I Been Pwned database by Troy Hunt. And basically, it tracks known data breaches, but also um, searches people's search sites as well. Now, here's my take on it. If your data is out there and it's your name, date of birth and address, don't give these services any more information than is already out there. When you sign up for Mozilla Monitor, it will ask for your first name and your last name and an age for verification. That initial sign-up age, you can just make that up. They're just making sure um, you're over the age of 13. And then the most basic form of the service is you put your email address in there and it will search, have I been pwned on your behalf and look for data breaches. Now, I'm at the stage that I don't have a single email address to put in. I have hundreds and hundreds of email addresses used for each individual service. So there's a couple I put in there, but there's no known breaches. And to be honest, I delete the email or disable it when I'm done with it anyway. But the next step is the people search sites. And for this, you do have to give them your first name, last name, date of birth and your town and state. Now, if you've found your data on people search sites, then this is out there anyway. So giving this to Mozilla Monitor to search I don't think is a big problem. 
What I would be wary of, though, are these data removal services that want you to submit ID and more intrusive information. I would never, ever submit any form of ID to a data removal service or people search site to get my information removed. Anyway, back to Mozilla Monitor. I tried this out today and it searched around 190 data brokers or people search sites and I was found in one. And it wasn't the complete information, but it was enough. So I got that removed. Don't be surprised if you've not done this before that you're going to get over 100 results back and it may seem daunting. Now, this is where I would recommend Mozilla Monitor. It's that initial first pass at removing your data that's going to save you a considerable amount of time. It won't get everything. And in fact, if you use another service such as Delete Me or Optory, they're going to search far more and you're going to find you're listed in a bunch more sites. But my recommendation would be to use Mozilla Monitor as a first pass and then manually remove yourself from the rest. Now, once Mozilla Monitor finds results, it will give you the option to fix it. Now, I haven't done the paid option. You can actually go in there and manually remove it yourself or pay for their service and get them to do it for you. I think just getting a list of the sites it's found you on is a very efficient way of doing this uh, if you're going to manually remove your own data. Some of the people search sites are nefarious to say the least. The opt-out process is different for each one, but typically if you Google the name, say White Pages Opt-out, for example, you will get a page and it will tell you to put a link to the report. The problem with most of them is to get to the report, you have to pay. Don't do that. Email them and persist at emailing them. I had a particular challenge once with um, a people search site saying, no, you've got to use our online form. But it didn't work. There was a drop down to say, you know, select the record and it, it just the drop down was empty. It didn't have anything in there. If I search for my name on their site, it would show my name and address. Now, here's some tactics I use. First, I generate an email address using one of my custom domains and I call it privacy at domain.com. So let's say you've registered a domain name, create an email alias called privacy. And in fact, if you want to make this unique, you can call it privacy.admin14 at and then the name of the domain. This throws them off a little bit. They may wonder if that's a data removal service or you're using a, a lawyer to do this. If you want to step it up, register a domain name that sounds like a legal team. I'll leave that up to you. And the first email just very politely asks to remove the information. I'll provide a screenshot, a URL if I can, and I'll give them the details they already have. I don't give them any more. So if they have first name, last name and age, then I give them that. And you will probably find you get met with some resistance like, oh, you need to use this other link. You need to use this form. But here are the tactics I use. First of all, if you are asked for your ID, you've got a number of things you can do here. Just blatantly refuse to give it for one. But if you want an excuse, you could say, I'm a European citizen currently residing in the US, but under GDPR, I am not permitted by law to surrender or provide copies of my European ID, which, by the way, is absolute nonsense. That's not true. But often the people you are dealing with don't know any better and it might be enough to get them to comply. Another one that's worked for me in the past is you say the name of this record is actually the same name of a child living at this address. The child has the same name as their mother or father and is under the age of 13. You could say they're four years old just to be on the safe side. Now, there doesn't have to be a child at the address at all. 
but the fact they're displaying a public record of a child's name at that address is probably enough to get them to comply. You have to remember who we're dealing with here. The majority of these websites are not official data brokers. They're merely set up to make huge profits based on selling people's personal information. And then they want to charge for you to access those records. And it's obviously working for them. There are just so many of these sites out there. I like to play them at their own game. So recently I've been doing some OSINT. Nothing too deep, just looking at the public records on the businesses behind these people search sites. One, I won't mention the name directly, but it rhymes with sci-fi. And they have another website uh, which starts with kids and ends in safe. So you can pretty much figure out who that is. Interestingly, they're the same owner, but they operate as entirely two separate people search sites. So if you opt out of one, they have not removed your records from the other. So you do have to send two requests. I find it quite interesting that the individual behind these companies also owns a company that sells mattresses. I think at the end of the day, they are just entrepreneurs and they see this as a very lucrative way of making money. They scrape all the public records and collate them onto their site and then put the reports behind a paywall, which unfortunately a lot of people do thinking that's how they need to access the data. Also, this person hasn't taken any care to remove their own data from other people's search sites. There's public county records, his information is everywhere, including his date of birth. But I said I wasn't going to go too deep and get distracted down that rabbit hole. Just some more updates. I am working on the PFSense blog, which is very difficult when I'm traveling. Part one is available on lockdown.media, and that's more of a background on why I do what I do on PFSense and the importance of not only VPNs, but DNS over HTTPS and DNS over TLS, and all is explained in that blog. As for the more technical, hands-on, setting up PFSense part, that is going to be coming probably in a few weeks. Unfortunately, with the travel schedule I have, I haven't had much time to focus on it, but I promise it is on the way. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk soon.